It's no secret that designers love Stanley Kubrick, so it makes sense that my dear friend and designer Michael Santi has a deep connection with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Regarded as one of the greatest films of all time, we sat and discussed our thoughts on the film that touches on the dawn of man, artificial intelligence, and alien impact on human evolution. We also discussed his brand new company, Over, Under, Inside, Out. I'm your old pal Slim, and this is Link in Bio. Did you watch it this morning? I started watching last night in bed. Oh, God. And <laughs> and it, we had the air conditioner on. So I'm laying in bed and I tell Amanda, my lovely wife, what I'm about to watch. And then I'm like, don't worry, you'll hate it. So don't worry about what I'm about to watch. And then, like every three seconds, she would pop her head up. And she would look at me and then look at the TV and she would have some kind of like sarcastic comment about what is going on. And, yeah. and then I get up like five minutes later. He's like, where are you going? I was like, I'm just getting my headphones. <laughs> yeah, to, to. <laughs> so, <laughs> to avoid any more further questions. I mean, because it's a strange movie for, oh, for yes. like people that have never seen it, heard oh, yeah. of it or whatever. Well, I have like sort of a group of three other friends that we have like a movie group now mm -hmm. that we go and see movies. And I was like, guys, like my favorite movie ever is coming back into theaters. Like I'm buying us all tickets. Like you're coming. What day works for everybody? Like I set it all up and we sat down. And as soon as I sat down, I had this like overwhelming feeling of like, oh, I maybe not, I should maybe not have brought my friends to this movie. <laughs> and then, and then, and then the movie started and I was like, oh no. And then I could just feel it. Three people sitting to my, to my left, just being like, why have you brought me here? Right. I mean, cause why the first, the first 10 minutes are just, is just music pretty much. Well, yeah. So I was actually thinking about that because when I was watching it today, I'm like, oh, I, I wonder what he thinks is happening right now. Like, why is there just black and music? But the idea was like in the theater, this music comes up and sort of sets the tone for everybody. So the movie sort of starts like five minutes in advance. But like even at the theater when we went to go and watch it, it was like music was playing, then the lights sort of dimmed, and then that music starts playing, and then you have to wait like five minutes for that to start. So it was <laughs> like already they were like getting antsy, and I was like, oh, oh god, yeah. But I, yeah, it's, it sets I, the mood. I I like that about it, and seeing it in, in a theater with that experience, it w was sort of unique and fun. I was about to say how, you know, the it's hard to hear like this kind of movie. Like I need to focus on the dialogue so i eventually started i moved to my tablet to finish watching it and i can just imagine the ghost of stanley kubrick being like just vomiting all over me like <laughs> me laying in bed watching 2001 with my head my little headphones on oh god oh my, yeah that would have been <laughs> just, just remember that conversation we had about like uh spielberg and like being an old person but your, like this is one boy. of those times yeah my boy steven yeah, these are one of those times where I was like, yeah, that, maybe he's right about that. I've seen this movie before, but I yeah. haven't, like, so I was thinking to myself, like, oh, yeah, 2001, I've seen that before when I was younger. It's about Hal and Dave. And right. I, like, totally forgot 80% of this movie. Like, I yeah, remember like... All, this, all the things that The Simpsons were 
put homage, homage, yeah. Simpsons homages. Mm-hmm. And I like totally must have blocked out the plot of the doctor going up to the space station, having a conversation. Yeah. The, the secret mission. Mm, like all yeah, that yeah. stuff. I was like, wow, I don't remember any of this. I don't even remember really the end. So it was like pretty much a, a, a new experience watching it again. Oh, that's kind of exciting, actually. Because it's like, um, I actually, part of my experience watching it again was like that, f- actually enjoying more of that first half. Usually that's the part I'm like, okay, yeah, the monkeys and the boring talking, like, let's get to the good stuff. And I actually found myself like enjoying that sort of new Dawn of New Man, I think is that first part. Dawn it's called. of Man, like, yeah. Dawn of Man, yeah. That I actually found a lot more, there's a lot more in there than I remember there being, which mm-hmm. was kind of exciting for me. Because yep. I actually ended up, we'll get into it, but I ended up like hating this movie <laughs> a lot more than I ever have before watching it. So I, that, I have that effect, that thought process when I watch certain movies that I loved, on, like The Dark Knight. Like I can't stand The Dark Knight movie just because I'm on multiple viewings. I just dissect it and I, I'm looking for things to like not like. Right, yeah. But I, I actually really enjoyed the, I think some of the reviews initially they said like the banal conversations between characters. I really, I really love those. Like, and this is like the first time really that I remember seeing it, but the part where the doctor has the conversation with his daughter via like FaceTime, like right, 50 yeah, years yeah. early. And when he's charged him a dollar 70, which was the best part about <laughs> I, I that. Know. I was like, Oh my God. I, what, what is that now? It's like, well, actually it would have been like 10 bucks. I was about to say 1960, but at the time it was 2001 anyway. So who knows? But the yeah. conversation he had, what he meets up with the, the Russian doctor or the scientists and that yeah. whole, like, I just love seeing that kind of sixties era boring conversation in film. I thought it was amazing. Surprised to meet you here. Uh, you're looking wonderful. Thank you. You're looking well too. This is my good friend, Dr. Haywood Floyd. I'd like you to meet Dr. Kalinin. Uh, how do you do? Dr. Sretnive. How do you do? How do you do? And this is Dr. Andrei Shmislov. Oh, how do you Floyd. do? I've heard a lot about you. Uh, could you sit down? Yes, uh, well... Uh, oh, no, no, please. Oh, thank you. Would, uh, would you like a drink, Doctor? Oh, no, thank you. As a matter of fact, I haven't had breakfast yet. Someone's uh. meeting me in the restaurant. No, if you don't mind, I'll just sit with you a few minutes, and then I must be off. Are you quite sure? Uh, quite sure, thank you. Well, how is Gregor? Oh, he's fine. Yeah, I like that about it because it's, to me, it's like, it sets up the fantastical by making everything else feel very, like, mundane. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, space travel is not that exciting anymore. It's like that whole, the coolness factor is pulled out of it. And it's like, what would normally be the cool parts about sci-fi? It's like being in space, living in space is, like, boring. Right. And And it lets the stuff that happens later carry all of that um like awe and mm-hmm. wonderment which is kind of cool it's kind of interesting when was the first time you saw 2001 um it must have been like in college i think it was in college I'm trying to think I'm trying to think when i can specifically remember the first time really hype watching it like after reading about it and seeing sort of that opening sequence with the sun sort of coming up over the earth and then you see sort of the the title card Hmm. and i remember that whole like like at my buddy's place in college and just (laughs) freaking out just being like this is oh my god and he was like dude calm down like 
you calm down. No, you get hyped up. Like what? You look what you're watching, and it's like even now it's so exciting to see that sequence actually because it's like how do you even shoot that? Mm-hmm. I don't even know how you ma- like. I know the process, how they made it, but it looks stunning. And like that was the one thing that my friends ultimately said about the movie was like the effects and how they shot all of that space stuff is incredible. Like it looks so good and there's no CG at all in that scene. It's just puppet, not puppets, but miniatures. The only other thing, modern film I was trying to think of that could compare was Interstellar. Like when I saw trailers for Interstellar, I thought it was like, oh my God, this is going to be my 2001 Space Odyssey. Like this is going to be the greatest film of all time. And like those space shots reminded me of of Interstellar and vice versa, but they they don't they haven't like aged at all. It's still just real. No, and I think that's what's kind of actually really cool about it is like because they shot it on film, because it's miniatures. Like you don't have that same thing with CG, where like over time you get that um, that age quality where you're like, oh, I see the seams, or oh, I it's just crappy CG. It's like it's real. It's actually in front of you. And so it gives this sort of like authentic, like you said, like timeless feeling, mm-hmm. which I think is really exciting and really interesting. And um, just on the same sort of idea, uh, the, I've talked about the fountain like a million times, but um, they use a lot of um, some stuff actually that they use in this movie, but it's like microscopic. Uh, what do they do? Like microscopic cinematography, I guess, mm. where they like film different oils and different liquids and it sort of gives this like organic um, experience. Like if you see in the the scene at the end with the Stargate where he's like flying through those like lights. Yeah. And then you see sort of like this spatial stuff with all this like flowing weird lava-y liquid. I don't know if you remember that part at all. Mm-hmm. But that's all done in like with mi- uh, microscopic photography. And they use that in the fountain in this movie because – it gives this very um, organic feel and it's like not CG, but you get sort of the same effect of this sort of like grandiose look, but it's not going to age as poorly as CG would. I yeah. think that's kind of cool. What is even the plot of the fountain? I don't even remember. It's like Hugh Jackman, like through different time periods and weird stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, Hugh Jackman is a neuro neurosurgeon and his wife has cancer. And he's trying to basically cure cancer while at the same time, she is just trying to come to terms with her dying. Hmm. And she's writing a book that sort of sums up her relationship with him. And at the same time, and so that is realized through like 16th century Hugh Jackman being a conquistador and she's like a queen of Spain. And then there's sort of him in the future He's conquered death and he is trying to bring her body to an exploding star. It's like, it's sort of an absurd thing I just said, actually. Because <laughs> it's really, it's just about love, like sure. love eternal, eternal love. But it's like a way more complicated story, actually, now that I've actually tried to describe it plot-wise. Mm-hmm. But that's what's happening. What was your interpretation of 2001 the first time you saw it? How did you view the kind of evolutionary alien things. I thought it was like super fascinating. I I just thought it was such a unique kind of story. Uh, I think I could probably, now that I've seen it a few times, it's a little bit easier for me to sort of explain what I felt. I probably was just more in awe and then later on sort of figured out where that awe came from. But I think it's, 
I think this idea of what the next step of humanity is and like where what's beyond what we are now, like that's, I think the ultimate story that he's trying to tell in in the movie. Um, And I think that's really cool. And I think it's done in a really interesting way that is more lyrical Mm. than, than uh, concrete. I'm trying to think of the word, but like, less literal, more lyrical. Yeah. The whole movie was like that because you can see so many science fiction films that tackle these topics, but they get super literal and the boldness of this film, 1968, he, I mean, it's almost three hours. There's barely any dialogue and there's so much beautiful classical music choices that are in this film that kind of guide you to viewing what's happening. Um, I love, I love the boldness of not explaining everything. And I know that there was a book that came out of there on the same time. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke, I think kind of did explain a little bit more, but it's pretty ballsy to do that in a major motion picture like this. Yeah. They had sort of come up with the story. They sort of wrote the story at the same time. So Kubrick was sort of writing the script and shooting at the same time that he was writing. And so in the book, everything is, yeah, more literal. It's like, this is exactly what this is. This get this thing gets a name. That thing gets an explanation. Like what they're doing on, on the moon has more words in it, <laughs> whatever that means. And, uh, and the movie is more, yeah, you get to sort of interpret it as, as you want. And you sort of like take it in. Um, each person sort of gets their own personal interpretation which I think is really cool and really mm-hmm. fun. And also re- it also re- requires you to go back and do watch it a few more times and catch little things here and catch little things there. And I, I think that the best movies are the ones that do that. And like, this is one of those movies where it's just like, he puts it all on screen and it's up to you to sort of take the time to, to suss it out. Yeah. And he doesn't dumb it down for you. And I think like the best movies are the movies that don't dumb it down. Like I was just watching Annihilation before we jumped oh, on the call. Oh gosh. We talked about this a bit before, but man, like that movie is all about super intelligent people doing exact like what super intelligent people would do in in these kinds of situations. And it never never holds your hand. You're just got to f- figure it out for yourself and hold on and again, suss out the information that they're giving you. I think it's those are my favorite movies and sci-fi movies I think are the ones that do that almost better than most most other genres. I think we should do an Annihilation episode at some point in the future. Yes. My yes, God. Yes, yes. Oh, man. That movie, <laughs> that movie like, instantly became like one of my favorite all-time movies after only one viewing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so magical. So magical. Can you imagine being in the theater in 1968, seeing people like normal normies going yeah. into this movie and walking out? After like the last scene with the star baby or whatever you want to call that. Can you I imagine? Been, I would have been mad. I think, <laughs> I think I would have been mad. I would have been like, what is this that we're watching? You would have been wearing your tailored suit to the movies. Like every other oh. man in the theater uh, with yes. your hat and your little briefcase. Like that doctor had that kind of pseudo backpack briefcase thing, <laughs> the portfolio <laughs> that he kept carrying around. Oh my God. Hello. I'll have two tickets, please. For the 2001 <laughs> movie. Thank you. <laughs> And then you get there and you're like all this screeching and oh man, actually that's one of the things that was really crazy. Like in the movie, 
in the theater, they had the volume up really high, like mm-hmm. really high, which I think was intentional. It's like part of the effect. But man, like that scene where they touch the monolith on the moon and then it starts screeching. You couldn't like everyone was physically uncomfortable in the theater. <laughs> like you could, everyone was like covering their ears like oh it God. was too much. But it was like kind of they're like, oh, dude, I like that. Like, yeah. I like that. He's like assaulting you with audio i had my headphones on for that scene and i had to turn the volume down <laughs> but imagine not being able to that's what happened it was brutal. like it hurt but it was cool well was be- cool. before we did this episode we discussed kind of going to see the unrestored version because that was kind of the impetus that mm-hmm. they were releasing in 70 millimeter um what's his face who was in charge of it um christopher nolan ha- somehow they they found the original unrestored film the negatives or what have you. And they, that's what they're showing in theaters. I didn't have mm-hmm. any, any theaters near me showing it surprisingly, like not even the kind of f- center city, Philadelphia Ritz, you know, that kind of plays those sorts of films or those presentations. I couldn't even find one, but you were able to. Yeah. I'm lucky. I, I mean, I'm in Toronto. So like we're a pretty major city and we have TIFF obviously like the film festival every year. But what's nice is they actually have, like, their head offices is also, um, like, a movie theater. Mm. So they end up getting cool stuff like this or smaller films that they'll play. And so I get the benefit of, like, having stuff like this show up close by. And it's literally 10 minutes at most a walk from my apartment to, like, the tickets selling booth it's like it's so close so i'm really happy about that because i get to see all kinds of cool stuff like this and it's definitely worth seeing i mean obviously if it's hard to see it's hard to see and um, like i said i actually ended up having like a weird love-hate relationship with this movie by the end so now i'm kind of like positive experience (laughs) yeah exactly which is sort of strange because like i said it's like one of my favorite movies but there are definitely like a lot of faults in this movie I, i hadn't really considered up Mm. until this point which i'm actually kind of happy with because it's nice sometimes it's hard when like you love something so much you put it on such a high pedestal that like you always want to use that as the marker and nothing can reach it and then when you sort of like humanize this thing it makes it a little bit more i just appreciate that Mm -hmm. more about it it's not perfect there are flaws and that's okay and like I, i i like something like that instead of something that's too perfect when we first saw the trailer I remember we were both kind of excited because the trailer, the unrestored version looked like a new film. Like, I don't mm. know what, how it was even possible that it looked restored almost in an unrestored way. So were you able to notice any kind of little things when you saw it in theaters or different color palettes that popped a little bit differently? Well, I, I saw this video on YouTube where they were comparing like the res, like a restored like Blu-ray version from a couple years ago in this footage, and I noticed in the restored um, sort of Blu-ray versions, they had sort of done a color like correction, sort of not I guess a color correction, yeah, but they sort of made everything a little bit blue, but they sort of unified all the colors. Like cuz especially shots with like the models, for instance, like there's like the um like one of the, like at the ship, the docking sequence with like the spinning um, space station. And then you have the moon and sort of the moon, uh, it's not the moon, sorry, the earth. So the earth is sort of blue and the blue, it's giving off a blue light, but then the ship itself is sort of green mm-hmm. in the original sort of unrestored version. Mm-hmm. So I think with the restored version, they tried to just sort of make everything unified. L- l- yeah. Perfect. Exactly. Um, 
So I did notice a little bit of like sort of greeniness in that showing, but otherwise like it looked great. Like it looked really, it looked a lot better than the print that I had seen originally the first time, mm. which was like all mangled up. This was much better. There were a little bit of clicks here and there and a little bit of, uh, um, like a little bit of scratches, I guess. Mm-hmm. But otherwise it would like, it looked really great. It looked really great. I, when I, uh, watch it again, kind of like on a new first viewing, I love the idea of space leisure travel, like how they were flying out to the space station in kind of like a, you know, I think it was, was it Pan Am? Or yeah, the, yeah, the, Pan America. The, and when they got to the station, I think there were signs for like, um, what's the low tier? Was it Howard Johnson's? Like they had, there were signs that said like Howard Johnson's hotel or whatever inside the space station was cracking yeah. me up. All these old, all these old companies that yeah. like are either barely around or not that fancy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Howard Johnson's would never be on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> we have a Howard Johnson hotel in the exactly. town that I'm from, and that's where like women of the night stay. <laughs> like you don't actually ever go there. Can but. you imagine if Howard Johnson got the exclusive contract on the moon 2018? <laughs> My God, man, but people I, will be living so happily. Oh yeah, I I loved seeing you know people having those kind of like normal conversations, like oh what do you what are you here for? Where are you going? Um, I thought that was, a, I thought that was a great touch that, that still feels real and him kind of meeting someone for lunch, going to make a quick phone call. And I loved the dynamic of them filming like a video call in 1968. It just, yeah. it just cracked me up. Like I was just trying to think of like how many takes he did with this pre-recorded footage of the daughter and just saying right. his lines and stuff. Oh my God. I was just and so Stanley just that. like running in and being like, no, no, no wrong, <laughs> wrong. Like respond this way. What's kind of cool too, is like they have that scene where it's, it's obvious that they could have put like the TV sort of behind the wall, mm-hmm. you know? So, cause you know, it's like a CRT screen or whatever, but then there's a scene later on when you're on the Jupiter and uh, the one guy, Frank, is eating lunch or eating food, and he's looking at the iPad, sort yeah. of like like you would, like everybody does now. But it's like there must be a screen, like right underneath that table, you know, <laughs> right. that they never hidden. moved the iPad. <laughs> right? Yeah, like don't grab that. Don't, it's stuck. <laughs> like it's just you know. That, I thought that was kind of funny. There was a lot of uh, food eating scenes in this movie. I feel like all of the human interaction revolved Lots around food. food. At first, for whatever reason, I just remember focusing on that because in the last scene where Dave sees himself, his aged self, he's eating, and then the other scenes with the was it Bowman or who's the what's the partner in the space there's, station? There's Frank, and then Bowman. Bowman's the oh, guy who goes at the end, and then Frank is the other Frank. Guy. Yeah, Frank, the other guy. They're eating in there. The doctor's eating. He's meeting someone for lunch. I just thought that was very interesting how it popped up so often. I never really thought about that, but like food does sort of play a a big visual role. And I wonder what that has to do with. I never really thought about that. And all the food but, is so gross too. They're like <laughs> slurping food out of straws or slowly using like a, a spork knife combination actually, to eat. I actually took that in this morning when I was like looking over it. I was like, God, that food looks hideous. And I was like, should I write a note about that? I was like, no, we'll never get to that. We'll never talk about the food. <laughs> That's and my, now num- we are. my number <laughs> one note. Food equals hideous. Yeah. I mean, it looked like sand, like it wet did. sand. The one like, thing oh. that struck me too, but he was, he was using a spork, but I think it was also a knife. Like the, one of the edges was sharp. So I think he oh, could cut and then also use a spoon and a fork. It was amazing. 
Oh man, that never took smart, off. Smart utensils. Why don't we? Why don't we have those kinds right. of utensils now? What the, the, hell? the grip shoes. Remember the grip shoes that the uh, flight attendant was using? When she's walking like <laughs> this, and then she does like the trip, and then you're like, oh my god, she must have been. She must have been yelled at for. <laughs> Like a two days straight by Stanley Kubrick, just being like, "No, walk like this." I know, walk like that. Well, also, wouldn't don't they have a concept of what like gravity is like in space? Why would she trip? Like, actually, does she lose her? Why would she lose her balance? Actually, no, because I mean, I don't know that they don't didn't know what gravity was like in space, but like, what's actually an interesting fact that I written down and I forgot to do the back end research specifically about timing, but. There had never been a photograph of Earth before this movie came out mm. from space. So we never knew what Earth looked like. So on top of that, I don't even know if that means, like, I don't even think we'd even sent people up by that point, by the mm. time that they had sort of come back. So they may not have even had the experience of, like, what gravity specifically was like yeah. with people actually experiencing it themselves. I'm as probably being, to just like, no. I'm being too harsh on it. It was 1968. They did, they did just fine. No, I mean, there are scenes where I'm like, ugh. but there are some scenes that are like kind of cool that I really like where they like how the camera moves through the space station, Mm. like when he's like jogging. Yeah. And then or or that woman like sort of like starts walking waddles waddles over and then like gets into that one circular thing and then that starts spinning in a different direction. And you're like, where is the camera? Uh How is the camera? Like that stuff always blows my mind, like watching that kind of stuff, because you know how much time and effort went into the pre-production to figure out, okay, how do we make this happen? How do mm-hmm. we make that shot even possible? How, what what do we have to build? And then you see what they actually had to build. I don't know if you've ever seen behind the scenes footage of like the giant wheels and stuff mm-hmm. that they had to build. It's crazy. They did the same thing in Interstellar, actually. I remember when I was watching this, I think, I think Stanley Kubrick is pretty high up in the like world of designers I, you probably agree or correct me but when watching this film i remember how much i enjoyed watching alien and aliens because of the design of the spaceships mm. and this is like the, the same exact thing like everything in the space station is like so meticulously planned and gorgeous and minimal like there's yeah. no kind of superfluous garbage in the spaceship or anywhere else it's all just well designed for that era and still very timeless yeah, he like worked actually with NASA scientists to be like, hey, what would life be like in the future? So there's that scene where he's looking and it's like zero gravity like bathroom. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember yeah. that scene. And he's like carefully reading the instructions as to not <laughs> screw up going to the bathroom in space. And uh, but like you could actually zoom in and read that. And it's actually how it would work. Huh. Like all of the stuff is in one way or another sort of functional in a weird way like not in real life but it was all thought about like how would you do it like how would like the exploding bolts like there's that thing that's on the side of that like if you read all that text it's like how that how that pod would function in a real life scenario which Mm -hmm. is like really interesting it's like all it goes back to even the dialogue like all about detail fine fine detail i think hal kind of wins out on like what people talk about the most in the movie but even that was very forward thinking like the ai in the film was I thought it was perfect. Like the the voice intonation, the character itself. And I kind of viewed that as one of the evolutionary steps. Like how the 
the the monolith helped the apes kind of like jump in evolution a little bit right. and then the 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 monolith comes back because they discover it on the moon and i'm not i don't remember if they discussed hal at that point mm-hmm. but i i wonder if like i haven't done any research on this but i kind of viewed it as that that moment with the monolith brought hal or like oh, computer technology like ai because i don't think mm-hmm. they referenced him at that point and i wondered as i was watching it with fresh eyes like was how part of that evolutionary jump because every time the monolith appears it kind of like right, you get that jump yeah they like it they're helping humanity progress so to speak in the evolutionary path so i wonder if that was at any point in um the planning at least that's how i viewed it yeah actually that's interesting because like i obviously i pulled this sort of same idea in terms of the monolith but i well i always saw i always saw how as not that like i always saw thought of hal as the opposite like to me hal is still part of us now like he's flawed just like we are like computers are only as good as the people that make them you know mm. and so his his flaw at the end like him wanting to kill them off has nothing to do with like a personal grudge against them so much as it is about him wanting to fulfill the mission effectively and like that ego that comes with that like he is a little egotistical, you know, mm. in the way that he says things. And to me, it's like even technology now is like tech. I think that's a comment from Kubrick saying like even technology does not make us more than human. Like it's still a, uh, it's still a representation of who we are now. It doesn't make us better. It's still us. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's kind of cool about it is like even the AI is still us. And like this is actually something that I was thinking about when I was watching. Blade Runner 2049, which was this continued discussion in the Blade Runner series of like, what does it like? What does it mean to be alive? If you're a robot, does that make you alive? And it's like, yes, because you were made by us. And what's sucky about what Ryan Gosling's character goes through is though, even though he's not a human, he experiences all these very real human emotions of like feeling alone and feeling useless and feeling unwanted. And like, I think Hal represents those things that continued idea, which is like, even though it's AI, it's not beyond us. Like we made it. And so it will still suffer the same issues and problems that all humans face. Hmm. And then, so we only don't, we only finally step past it once Bowman goes through that Stargate and then becomes reborn as the star child. Like that's the first time that humanity actually gets past what we started um, you know, million, four million years ago or whatever. You know, it reminded me when he was going through the Stargate and then kind of like skipped ahead decades. It reminded me of that scene in Interstellar where they went to that planet and time passed differently and like the yeah, years right. passed. Oh my God, I was so angry that <laughs> they've screwed up and he like missed his child's like, a, you know, young years. Ugh. Yeah. That's the thing. Interstellar, it's weird. Like I went into Interstellar knowing his like love for Kubrick and I was like really excited because I was like, oh, this is going to be... 2001 like the new 2001 and like oh my god it's gonna be great because he's such a great sort of cold director and so i was like expecting and it's like totally the opposite it's almost kind of the opposite movie it's like it really loves humanity and it like quite literally you know like that whole speech about love is sort of the complete opposite of what kubrick is dealing with in this movie which is like humans or whatever like (laughs) humanity is not that important it's just the next step like (laughs) We're, we have a long ways to go before we're any good. 
I don't. And so I, th- yeah. I don't remember if I. I remember not loving Interstellar the first time I saw it. Yeah, I think I was mostly disappointed I'm not, not getting the movie I was expecting. Yeah, because yeah, I remember it like pulled at my heartstrings even in the trailer, like Matt Matthew McConaughey leaving his kids to go into space. I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna be great! I'm crying already. But I felt like I don't know. It just didn't. Like I thought the ending was almost too explanatory and science fiction-y and really out there that I was like, this is kind of taking me out of it. This is like too much. And and it, I think that comes exactly your point. It was like, it was everything Kubrick's view wasn't like very explanatory, all about love and human emotion and stuff like that. But coming back to how, what was Hal's, why was he killing off the crew? Did it so help I, his mission? Really the mission of going to Jupiter all, at all? I, I I was I I thought so. Like in my mind, like he was he was just getting rid of the the things that were going to cause him problems. Mm. Like in his mind, he could do everything. He doesn't really need them, and so they're expendable. And if anything, they're going to get in his way. And so he was getting rid of them mostly out of like not having to worry about them anymore. Mm-hmm. That was always that was sort of always how what I took from it. I was like, it, it's not like anger. It's not like he's mad with them. Except, oh no, I mean, except that for the fact that he thought that they were going to turn him off, yeah. actually, now that I think about it. So, like, his mission was, I'm going to go there and succeed at this mission, and then, um, oh, and you're getting in my way, so I will now remove you so mm-hmm. that I can do what I'm supposed to do. Because he's the only one that knows the why they're going yeah. there. Right, so he's got a whole, he's holding on to that. And so once it feels like, oh, they're going to get rid of me. Okay. Well, I, I got to, I got to step in and deal with this. Did you ever see the, uh, 2010 movie? <laughs> yeah. I, I bought it. I started watching it and I couldn't really. And then it's the only DVD that I've ever bought that as soon as I pulled it out, I didn't find a case for it. <laughs> And I just threw it somewhere and it just, it's so scratched up and became unplayable. And that was it. I treated it so poorly. I was like, how dare you disrespect the master? And I just threw it out. The, uh, the only thing I remember people saying is that it wasn't bad. It's just, it gets a raw deal because it's viewed as like the sequel to 2001. Like I think, I think people think it's a, not a terrible science fiction film, but I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, I just I remember being like, "You are not the sequel to the greatest movie ever of all time." Therefore, you're garbage. But it might actually be good. I just haven't, and I actually started feeling that way, and I wanted to go back, and that's when I learned I couldn't play the DVD. <laughs> I was so scratched up. I was like, maybe I sh- I gave this too much of a bad rap. But I was looking at the wiki, and it sh- it talked about like some previous tight titles of the movie that were discarded, but one of them I really liked, and it was Planet Fall. I thought that was like the mm. coolest name ever for a science yeah, fiction movie. Yeah, what a great movie. name. Bummer that Those I are some great words. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> trying to see what else is in my notes. Well, what about you? You have extensive notes. Oh, I did. I <laughs> scribbled so many. Let me see. This is just for the design nerds out there. Mm. The MGM logo at the beginning, which is like not the Roaring Lion, but just like this very simple logo, is like the sexiest it, I, studio <laughs> logo in history. And I, I was agree. like, "What? Why don't they use this all the time? This is such a waste. What? Who, who made this, and why does it not get shown more often?" I was, I was, as soon as that came on screen, I, I was about to stand up and take a photo of it and tweet that instead of the uh, the other one because I loved it. Didn't Warner Brothers have one too that was like that? Like, 
that was like mm. obviously done by a an up and coming designer. Do you remember seeing some of those like old Warner Brothers logos? Oh, I don't know. Like not, but not the shield. Not the shield. It's like a variation of the shield. It was like seventies or eighties, I think. Mm, There's some know. good I ones out there. It. Yeah, I, I, I mean, those are always. That's like my favorite graphic style. It's like that super clean, mm-hmm. clean look. I, uh, those are always last forever for me. Yeah. And like, oh, that opened, I was like, oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> My favorite movie has the nicest opening. Oh, um, one thing I like sort of picked up, like I was saying earlier, was about um, the D- Dawn of Man. Yeah. Like that scene, like I always like, it's much, it was much longer this time than I remember it being. And there's actually so much emotion that's in that sequence that I had not really remembered. Like when he, so the group sort of gets beaten up the first time and they have to go away. And then they're sort of living underneath this rock at night, you know, and it's following them. And you see how scared everybody is mm. and they feel so useless. And there's like the one main guy obviously feels like he's let them down. You know, I guess it's like his family and yeah. it's like a small tribe, you know, and you get this feeling of just despair and sadness and like just feeling inadequate. I was like, God, that's such a, that's so sucky that like at even so early on in humanity's existence, <laughs> we were already feeling like guilt and sadness and like just feeling inadequate. And I was like, man, but then to have no way of like changing that until then finally evolving and like getting this weapon and figuring out what to do with it. And it was just like, wow, I, I, Again, it was more to me. It was always like a mood piece, but it had no emotion to it. But there was actually like such uh, honest, like hu- human emotion mm. in those scenes that I was like super happy about seeing. It just made the movie like that much uh, deeper. Yeah, there was a lot of cool. a lot of emotion told just with the eyes of that character when it was nighttime and it was just kind of like looking around and taking in the situation. Yeah, it was really beautiful. The, any of the, sh- I mean, anything with the spaceships is awesome, mm-hmm. like any of the miniatures, but especially like the moon when it leaves from the space station and they're in that like round pod and that pod lands on the moon and it sort of enters into this underground cave and there's a shot where it's like all red inside yeah, and it yeah. sort of lowers in. I was like, man, like I'm never, no, who is, no one's going to be this good ever again, man. Like he's so, his eye is so... His eye is so specific. Mm -hmm. He knows exactly what he's going for. And like he makes, he realizes those image, those images in his mind so perfectly. And like, that's just awe inspiring to me, like owning your vision and like not settling for 80% or 70% of what you want. Like only a hundred percent is worth your time. And I, I, I think that's the one thing about him that I like, cause I, I think I'm a little warmer than Kubrick and like, I don't think I have the same sort of tendencies that he does, but I think I always wanted them like this sort of like controlling demanding thing. But I think the one thing I take away from him is like your vision is worth it. Like always follow your vision and like, and make it as re- as a hundred percent your vision as possible. And I think that's like really important thing to take from it is like, only the best things come from original voices and like everyone has one, but it's not often that people get the opportunity to sort of like present that original vision. And so like the people who are always the most exciting or the people who produce produce the most interesting material, whether it be like music or movies or anything are always the people that like commit a hundred percent to their own vision. 
So like that to me is like, this movie is a perfect example of that. Like screw what everybody else thinks, like screw if anybody else even understands what's happening. Like they'll get it eventually. They'll get on my page eventually. 50 years, 20 years, 10 years, whatever, but they'll figure it out eventually. But like, this is it. I think that's really exciting. The the scenes that you referenced too, the kind of like docking scene. And then there's a scene before that where they're like, there's this huge space station with a big window that you can see out of. It looks amazing still like to this yeah. day. Yeah. And they're uh-huh. just using miniatures and it looks modern. It looks gorgeous. And there's just so many other movies that just looks like butt. And like he was yeah. in 1968. Like, what are you? What are you doing? Why can't you do this? What is everybody else doing right now? But sl- <laughs> sleeping on it. You know, it's so true. Like, there's a scene where like he comes out of the pod to go and rescue Frank. Like, he's Frank's been thrown. Which, by the way, him spinning through space Horrifying. is just like. I heard that guy like was in real like physical distress <laughs> during that sequence where he was like gonna pass out. You know, mm-hmm. and like was overheating i guess too because the suit the lights Uh. and everything and they're like okay stanley like let's give this dude a break like let's bring him down from the wire and he's like shut the hell up like (laughs) we're getting this shot if he dies up there it's for the movie you know it's like oh that's commitment but there's this scene where like the pod so he leaves jupiter in the pod in the second pod and it sort of like pulls up and faces the ship and sort of like lifts off and goes away And the lighting that's like reflecting off the pod onto the ship and then vice versa, it's like obviously happening in in physical space somehow. Mm -hmm. And you're like, when did they go to space to film this? Like, how could you do this? Like, everything just feels so authentic and so real. But it has editing issues. Let's get into the crap. Yeah, let's get into your your non-positive notes. Yeah, I think like it has an issue with pacing. No. (laughs) yeah but you would think that it's all the slow bits that i would have a problem Uh with but i actually don't like the slow bits create the tension but like the sequence at the end where he becomes star child like actually the biggest problem i have is the ending Mm. like everything is so slow and so um, him going through the uh what do they call this the the stargate Stargate. oh my god that yeah that that was a long scene which yeah. I think works <laughs> yeah. positively and can work negatively because you really like feel for the situation that you like, okay, this is a big deal. He's going through the start. Mm. It's been like 15 minutes, you know? Right, right. You yeah. Know? And it's still happening. It's still happening and it's still going. Yeah. You're like, okay, when does this end? And like, I have no problems. Like another perfect example, um, the scene where he goes to fix the, well, not fix, but initially goes to get that piece of technology on the outside of the mm. ship. And it's just like the breathing and it's just like, yeah, <gasps> yeah. <gasps> and like that over breathing happens. Like it's like real time. It's like him in the suit, him getting in the pod. The only audio here is breathing. He gets in the pod, still him breathing. Like it, the pod leaves, still him breathing. Like it travels over. It's still him breathing. It's like, okay, when does this end? And it's like, not, and it doesn't end. It's like 20 minutes. Uh-huh. And then, but it, it gets you in that mood and it's cool. But the problem with the end is at least that I found this time was like, Everything is slow. Everything is sort of the same pace. And then the ending happens and it's actually quite a huge moment. And it happens very quickly. It's like Star Child appears, the music blares. So you know it's important because only that music plays when something important is happening. And then it ends. And you're like, okay, so everything was like, normally you have a slow build to a big moment. And this was like a slow build 
to what feels like an even slower moment that happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you never, it never, it doesn't, at least in this viewing, it doesn't land at the end how monumental this moment is. It never feels as big as it, it should be. And I think a lot of that has to do with the pacing of like, it's so slow, it's so slow. And then at the end, it just sort of like falls off and you're like, oh, why, how, I don't know how you could change it to make it feel more important, but it just never feels as important as it should given what's happening. Yeah. I don't know how to change it either because I mean, you literally have kind of an infant fetus on screen for <laughs> seven minutes as it, as it is now. <laughs> Let's have him on screen for another 20. That'll, that'll really you know nail can- it. Right. Yeah, exactly. We get all sides of it. All sides of it. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, what do you do? It's so it's such a strange visual representation. Also. And I, I looked up, um, like, I wanted to see what the interpretations were of the ending. And I think it's supposed to be a giant fetus, too, right? It's yeah, not it's supposed just to be like, like normal size. size. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 It's like giant baby. And what's actually kind of interesting is like the whole... P- I think they mention it in the book, but basically, okay, so when when they do that famous cut where he throws the bone up and then it cuts mm-hmm. and then it's like a spaceship. So the whole point of that sequence is like it shows man, we found weapons, and then in the future, it's been however many years, four million years since that scene, and that spaceship is also a weapon. It's like a – it's supposed to be like a like a, like a missile launcher but from mm-hmm. space. Like when they were doing like the Star Wars thing with yeah. with Reagan, that's what that's supposed to be. So the idea is like humanity is hasn't evolved in all, all that time. They used bones, and now we use satellites, but it's still weapons. And so at the end, when the baby shows up, the baby is supposed to like destroy. He destroys all of those those weapons. Hmm. And then the idea is like, hey, we're not we're not using sticks anymore. We're getting better. We're doing better than this. And so that's what he's doing there. But you never know what he's doing. He just shows up. And he's yeah. Like, trying to take a selfie with the earth or something like, that. <laughs> like my interpretation kind of was of the ending just on this viewing was like humanity reborn and like we've excelled to the point where we can have like multiple stages of existence but like i think the book arthur c clark his vision for the ending was that the, this giant baby signifies a new heaven or something like that. And he's kind of a weirdo, that guy. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I just couldn't, I like, I think it's best left to interpretation. Like I, I kind yeah. of don't want to know what Arthur C. Clarke or even Kubrick. And I'm sure maybe Kubrick probably doesn't even want to say what, what's happening there. He wants to leave it up to you. Um, but yeah, very. Yeah, I think so. like keep another like just being in the theater when that ending happened. I mean, the music's obviously gorgeous and half the battle for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but what an ending! Yeah, it's. I mean, it's nothing if not original and totally mind-boggling. Like I remember it just happening, and then I looked over at my friends, and I was like, "So," and they're like, "What? What? What are you talking about?" I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, okay." Okay, be more selective in the movies I bring my movie squad to. Last of Us 2. Oh my god. 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 Dude, I am so hyped about this game. 
Last of Us, the first one, is probably like my favorite video game experience ever of all time. I've really, I've never played, I never played one. I've never, I've only seen people, that's not true. I remember seeing an ad for the first game that showed the first character freezing. So they bought a scarf on halfdoubledesign.com. Not your granny's crochet. If you're looking for a new scarf, like the characters of Last of Us 2, or a winter hat, a tie, a beanie, a blanket, a shawl, or just about anything that can be crocheted together in the highest of quality, look no further than Half Double Design. Amanda's waiting to hear from you, and you won't regret it. Check out halfdoubledesign.com for more. Like when I got my PlayStation 4 for the first time, like I would go on sites to be like, okay, what what are the best games that the the console ever had? And like it would always be at like the number one spot. And I'd played Grand Theft Auto Five, and I was like, what are you kidding? Grand Theft Auto Five is like the best game ever made. <laughs> like with no, like that's not a small thing to say. And uh-huh. so I was like, okay. And then my buddy, that's all he ever told me to do was play that game. And I was like, how good could this game possibly be? So I bought it and I played it, and it is like the best game I've ever played. And uh, so when I heard it was coming out i was like okay what like when is it coming i need it right Mm -hmm. now and then they showed that first trailer like a few like last year i think and it was just like a cg trailer of her playing guitar and i was like okay this is cool but like let me play this game and then that e3 trailer is absurd is absurd Uh, it looks i mean it looks intense i like the obviously obviously what they show you is ideal like the camera is obviously being you know, they've trained the person playing that game to make sure the camera's in the right spot at the right time. And the way everything, the way the player moves through is very calculated. But, like, the way, like, the leaves brush off the body as she walks through at the that beginning scene or the way that she gets shot with the arrow and then she pulls it out as she jumps over the, like, uh, a counter in this one scene. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, all the little animations that are happening in between are just, like... I forget that it's a game. Like it looks like a movie. It looks like a movie. And then you're what's like, what's the, what's the plot of the first game? So there's like this infection that, um, that sort of starts spreading in the U S I don't know if it spreads other places. It's like a really small game that way. Um, but it sort of like leads most, it's just becomes like a post apocalyptic sort of mm-hmm. place. And you're, so you're going through, you play this guy named Joel and uh, the responsibility of him is to get this. He he ends up getting a job, basically like a high uh, for higher job to take this girl, sort of like Children of Men, mm. where he's got to take a like this girl to this other place, and it's up to him. And so you play as him trying to get through this super dangerous uh, post-apocalyptic. I don't know. Is it in Boston? I think it might be in Boston or something. And uh, and so it's just you trying to survive. So it's a little bit. Uh, a little bit of like a zombie game, but not really. Like they're not really zombies. Um, it's just like a survival horror game. Mm-hmm. But it's really all about like the storytelling is amazing, and uh, and the way that they like in video games, like the mechanics of doing things, like getting health or getting ammunition or or getting weapons, like it's all very uh, natural. Everything feels really natural and like everything happens in your backpack. And so like you can collect, 
like five different objects, but then those five different objects can be used to make different things. So you can get like sharp objects and tape, and then you can use sharp objects and tape to make like a shiv, mm. or you can take those materials, uh, use like the tape and paper and alcohol to make like a bandage. Mm. And so you have to decide like how you're going to utilize the items you pick up. And when you want to make something, you have to stop and the character has to open their bag and it takes time to like actually do all the things that you're doing. It, it, you take sort of a penalty in one way or another to like use those items. Yeah. So it, it really utilizes game. Like it, it was the, to me, a really great example of how game mechanics can be used to tell, continue telling the story from a different point of view. Like, oh, God, you're nervous, you're nervous. Okay, I have to stop because I need health right now. Or do I want to stop and make a bomb? Because I can use paper and alcohol to make a Molotov cocktail, or I can use it to make a bandage or whatever. I was I, As soon as I saw the trailer, I was looking up what the cheapest PlayStation model was. Yes. Because I've, I haven't been, I haven't owned a PlayStation since like maybe PS2. Do you join me? And then you can join me and Dale when Fallout 76 comes out. <laughs> But I'm not super into RPG-esque games. I'm not either. I I feel like Fallout 76 is going to be too close to the line for me. Play play Fallout... Find a copy of Fallout 4, and then... Isn't that, like, super mega RPG? It really is, and to be honest with you, I hate RPGs. Like, for Mm. the most part, I've really hated them. I hate crafting and all that stuff. What about Destiny? Have you ever played Destiny? Actually, I'm playing Destiny 2 right now. Uh, I don't and, think I can. I, I don't like Destiny that much either. Okay, so have you pl- have you played it? Yeah, when it first came out, I think there was like a demo or like a you could play like a certain percentage of the game. So me, yeah. Dale, and Gen Z played that, and I think they bought it, but I was I was out after that. Yeah, the thing with Destiny is like I've always wanted the story to be better because I think the story is really boring, and I really hate playing stuff online for the most part. Like I hate playing with other people. Um, it's really lame. The only thing I love about Destiny is the mechanic, like the actual controls of it. It's like so smooth. Like as someone who spent a lot of time hanging out, like playing video games with guys who played Counter-Strike all the time growing up and like would kick my ass every time we played COD and like it was never fun to play shooters. Like this mm-hmm. game is makes you feel like a million bucks like (laughs) headshot 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 like you're just like you're i'm like whenever i just need to like let loose and just have a good time i throw destiny in just to just to shoot things which Mm -hmm. is like weird because i hate guns and violence but like that game is just like so visceral like you're just like oh yeah kill 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 like cool cool like i'm gonna live the rambo life for like 20 minutes have you played fortnite at all yeah a little bit a little bit like it it's like it's the same it's online that's the problem like i'll never mm. put in the time to be that good at anything so i don't I think you can join up with other i think you can party up with people on other platforms right when it was like getting big i downloaded it and i tried it out and i actually got like number two like i didn't oh, yeah. win but i got number two and i was like this is enough for me like i, I got it <laughs> You're, i could retire yeah i'm good i'll retire just almost on top so tell me about the uh big time design group that you started can i call it a design firm what's like the official phrasing of what you are creating we don't know yet i don't i mean i don't nebulous. know it's, it's, it's yeah i've sort of it's been sort of my responsibility to figure out that sort of speak um but the company is called over under inside out 
and uh, it's stemmed from just like a a couple different projects. Um, but it's three of us and we're designing this new product. Well, it's not really, yeah, it's a new product that we're making and hopefully we're going to go to Kickstarter with it in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be, it's a planter that will basically any, if you have a hard time keeping plants alive, um, this thing will sort of help you be able to do that. I don't want to get too much into it cause, mm-hmm. um, we're still sort of figuring out, Kickstarter's listening. You got competitors listening right now. Yeah, exactly. They're taking notes. Yeah, you put that down, that pen. Keep get your own ideas, sirs <laughs> and ladies. Excuse me. No, but it, it's really cool. It's like sort of um what's nice about it is the people I'm working with are just really passionate. And I've been sort of like trying to find groups of people to work with, and it's been really hard trying to find people who are as committed to doing something mm. as I am. And they're both really stepping up and we're getting to the point where like I have to step up a bit now because it's my turn to do my part of it. And I've never gotten to a point in a project where it's been my turn to step up and now I have to step up. So I'm like really excited because I'm up for the challenge and we work so well together and it's, this is going to be something that like lives beyond this first project. Like we'll be designing things for a long time, I think. So the project is fun because it gives us a chance to do something together and work, but it's not the be all end all, but we're really super, super excited about this. It's like, it's going to be so awesome. I'm really happy about it. And then after this project, you make your own science fiction film together. Oh yes. No, God, no, I could never, I could never. I was going to do, I tried to do movies when I was younger not like that's a road I was thinking about doing, but it's so expensive and you need so many people to do it. Yeah. And I was like, forget this. No, it's no, it's too no. hard. It's too hard. Just give up. Yeah. Why? Just that's the best thing to do in life. But as soon as it gets hard, just give up immediately. Don't even bother. Thanks to hot young stud designer, Michael Santi for coming back onto the show to discuss 2001. You can find him on Twitter at twitter.com slash C-T-C-H-E-R. And you can find links to his work and his new design, whatever you want to call it, on his Twitter. I have to call out once more that Michael designed the art for this very podcast link in bio, uh, as well as Paper Keg and a host of others. If you're working on a podcast, you should 100% get in touch with him. See you next time.